right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson still out. Hope to have him back maybe later this week as he uh, is still getting settled in with his newborn baby. So congratulations once again to Derek. But instead, it will be another edition of Nick Chuck Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. And boy, a lot to get to on today's show. A very packed show here today on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Didn't have a show yesterday, unfortunately, because of Westwood One's coverage of the Pittsburgh Steelers and Buffalo Bills game that had gotten delayed uh, due to the weather to yesterday afternoon. So tons to get to on today's show. I want to recap a little bit on KU Oklahoma from the weekend. And uh, if you were paying attention to social media at all on Sunday afternoon, some scary times a little bit there with Lance Leipold in Kansas. Getting more into that. Matt Tate is going to join the show from R1S1 Sports at 340. Talk to him about the Lance Leipold situation and KU basketball and more. And uh, KU basketball has another game here tonight against Oklahoma State. So I want to get into that game a little bit later in the 4 o'clock hour. Kansas football also landed a commitment out of the transfer portal on Sunday afternoon. And, uh, oh, by the way, it was NFL Super Wild Card weekend also talk about that coming up later in the four o'clock hour have to get to our rock chuck pickock and ku game picks for tonight's game for kansas against oklahoma state and also got some bill self audio he talked with the media along with hunter dickinson and kj adams post game after oklahoma and uh before oklahoma state they talked a little bit oklahoma state there as well we'll get to that audio and hear from bill self and the key players later on in the five o'clock hour as well so as i said packed show here on rcst and as always we are brought to you by 23rd street brewery Quickly, I wanted to go off the top here, starting off talking about that KU-Oklahoma game. We'll get to the Lance Leipold stuff coming up in just about 20 minutes or so uh, because that was obviously very significant news as well over the weekend. But but first, to go back to Saturday, Kansas defeats Oklahoma in a top-10 matchup at Allen Fieldhouse, 78-66. It was a tight first half. Kansas jumped out to an early lead. They were up seven uh, pretty quickly, up eight actually pretty quickly, and then got up seven again later in the court, in the half. But Oklahoma fought back, made it very competitive in the first half. And then Kansas pulled away in the second half to get the win. Uh, a comfortable, Really a comfortable win for Kansas. They were up by as many as 16 or 18 points in the second half and, and were able to kind of cruise to a win over Oklahoma in this game at home. Uh, so a very, very impressive win, I think, for KU overall. Uh, I think the big takeaway here is going to be whether or not you look at this game and say, okay, Kansas, when they're, when they're at their best, they can be one of the best teams in the country and really kind of handle other teams. Or maybe if, it's, if this is more of a, uh, maybe Oklahoma was a little overrated coming in, uh, maybe. And I, I think probably the truth maybe lies somewhere in the middle. For Kansas in the first half, K.J. Adams was outstanding. 15 points. Uh, all, 15, all 15 of his points came in that first half uh, in the game against Oklahoma. He was outstanding, made some great plays, uh, finished with another, another double-double, 15-10 and 10 for, for K.J. Adams. Hunter Dickinson was fantastic. Clearly it would seem as though his knee uh, was not affecting his play too much. He finished with 24 points, 14 rebounds, and five blocks, by the way. That was a big story in the game for Dickinson getting some blocks. 
Uh, well, I don't know if that's a trend that we'll necessarily see continue for Dickinson, but he certainly had an impact on this game. Uh, he kind of joked in the postgame press conference we'll get to later in the show about how he thought he had a few more that maybe this, the stat book, the stat keepers didn't fully give him credit for. So fantastic game for Hunter Dickinson. But of course, I think the, the top two storylines out of this game for Kansas was one, the fact that Kansas only had two turnovers, two turnovers in 40 minutes of basketball. Very, very impressive stuff from Kansas. That actually tied a program record. And you think about that, Kansas basketball has a history over 130 years, and you had two turnovers to tie a program record dating back that long. Very, very, very impressive stuff for Kansas. Uh, Bill Self talked about how he said he basically, he kind of made a joke about how they didn't focus on that as much as maybe from the outside it would seem like they did, but clearly whatever they did, it worked very well for them in this game against Oklahoma as Kansas played very, very clean with the basketball. And you, you look at the struggles that KU has had in, in their previous conference games on the road, obviously losing against UCF with 18 turnovers, and then with when the win they had against TCU also had 18 turnovers. And Bill Self did a great job of, of, of kind of breaking this down of, listen, especially in Big 12 play, the difference between 15 turnovers, let's say, and 10 or 8, you know, five extra possessions, five extra chances to get a shot up where you maybe get a shot up or six X, you know, that so many times can be the difference between winning and losing games in the Big 12 conference. And I think that was really epitomized by Kansas' loss against UCF, right? If they have a couple of clean possessions where they can get some shots up, maybe that game goes differently for them. So they, they come into this game against Oklahoma, only turned it over twice. Mentioned during the preview of Oklahoma on Friday's show that Oklahoma was not a particularly good team at turning the ball, at turning opponents over. You know, when you look at TCU and even UCF to a certain extent, they were a little bit, they were better at that than Oklahoma was, and Oklahoma was 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 not very good, and that showed in this game against Kansas. They, they didn't force really any turnovers on the Kansas offense. So obviously that very, very significant storyline for Kansas. And then the other storyline was was Johnny Furphy getting his first start, uh, and he played 19 minutes, played pretty well in the game. Uh, Bill Self, uh, the way Bill Self kind of talked in post game, it sounded like he almost maybe wanted to play Johnny Furphy a little bit more. He picked up two fouls in the first half, and uh, Bill Self mentioned that he that he thought he was getting a little bit winded, and he has to be taken out of the game in the in the second half. So it it just felt it just brought a different energy to Kansas, right? And that really was reflected in the fact that Kansas got off to a fast start in that game against Oklahoma, uh, which was which which was really nice to see, really nice to see. Uh, but at the end of the day. Johnny Furphy plays 19 minutes. El Marco plays 18 minutes. So again, I think this is less about okay, El Marco's not going to play. Furphy is going to play, and it's more about okay, Furphy gives you a better, a little bit more of maybe of a jolt of energy to start the game, and he can be more effective in certain areas. But El Marco definitely is still going to have a role, right? These are these again. I I, I said it last week. These are these are two players that are going to have to play low to mid 20s probably for Furphy at this point and upper teens, low twenties, possibly for El Marco at this point, because you got one minute from Jamari McDowell and three minutes from Nick Timberlake. Okay. So that means it's gotta be El Marco basically coming off the bench to spell the guards. And that's also reflected in the fact that both KJ Adams and Dewan Harris played 40 minutes, which is, I think a bit concerning. And I've, I've continued to discuss this possibility that over time that, that, that could be a concern for Kansas. So I, I don't know. We'll see uh, in big, as Big 12 play continues. But uh, I think El Marco and, and Bill Self mentioned this as well. You know, El Marco did some, did some good stuff, did some decent stuff in the game in, in his 18 minutes. Uh, ended up finishing the game with just two points, but it was one of one, so <laughs> very effective. 
had two rebounds as well in the game. So you're, you're going to need some production from, from El Marco, right? You're going to need some production there uh, if you're Kansas, even if he is coming off the bench. So, But Furphy certainly was really electric and, and, and played very, very well in the game also, which was nice uh, for Kansas. So the, the turnovers plus Furphy and his ability, I think, were the, the two big, big things to take away from this game. Hunter Dickinson obviously had a huge game as well, 24-14, and 14, uh, which was nice to see considering I don't know how much concern there really was about his knee going in, but uh, it's just nice to see him still be able to dominate. Kevin McCuller quietly gets 21 points also. Uh, by the way, he got 10 of those 21 at the free throw line. The other thing that Kansas did very, very well was they were 17 of 18 from the line in this game, uh, which was really, really great to see as well. So really effective from the free throw line, didn't turn the ball over. When you do those things, I think you're going to have a good chance to win because when you, when you consider beyond that, it's not like Kansas particularly shot the ball well. In fact, they made just three three-pointers in the entire game. They were 3-15 from three. Oklahoma was 6 of 20, which, by the way, of course, Luke Northwe- Luke Northweather, a guy who had hit one three all season coming into the game against Kansas, hits two uh, against the Jayhawks off the bench for Oklahoma. That was really annoying. But, uh, but, but yeah, Kansas didn't shoot the ball well from three, 3-15. Oklahoma was 6 of 20, so it's not like they, they really did much either. And then... Kansas only shot 44% to Oklahoma's 40%, so it's not like they dramatically outshot uh, Oklahoma. The rebounding, by the way, Oklahoma actually ended up out-rebounding Kansas by one, 39-38. So I think really, you look at it, the difference in the, difference in the game was the fact that Kansas only had two turnovers, which, which meant that they were getting shots up. And Bill Self also talked quite a bit about this as well, is that when you turn the ball over like that, like at, at, a rate, at the rate that Kansas had been turning it over previously, that leads to so many runouts and so many easy baskets. I think it's pretty clear right now that Kansas' half-court defense is very, very tough to play against. And so if you force a team to play in the half-court defense every time instead of giving them turnovers and giving them the chances to run out, that's going to definitely benefit you as well. So uh, that that was really, I think, another thing that stood out in the game for Kansas as they, they pulled away in the second half. They continue to, to do really, really well with their assist numbers. Dewan Harris, eight assists to zero turnovers. That's the that's the Dewan Harris you like to see. The, this Dewan, I mean, he was 3 of 10 from the field, which is not great, but 7 points, 8 assists, 3 steals, that's that's pretty good. That right there is, I think, a, a stat line from Dewan Harris that, that you feel, that you think, okay, that that's that's pretty good stuff. You know, maybe if, he, maybe if he can hit a couple more shots and get it to 10, 11 points, you know, you'd feel really, really good. But I think that's the Dewan Harris that you like to see if you're Kansas. And, uh, and, it, and very, very impressed with, with him as well, so... Uh, I think the the biggest takeaways as well going forward here for Kansas is number one, Johnny Furphy starting seems to be the recipe for success going forward. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, in fact, I think maybe you have to start to consider well, maybe this move should have been made sooner, which I know I think a lot of fans did want to see that. Uh, and I I kind of just I kind of just trusted Bill Self basically to to decide basically if he thought that that needed to happen, and uh, and he did, and it and. Maybe even if it did need to happen a little sooner, it happened at, at basically the right time, I think, for the most part. So Furphy starting is is a big positive. And then I think when you look at when you look at KU in this game against Oklahoma, this really showed to me this is a Kansas team that when they are playing well is definitely a top two, top three team in the country. I I don't think there's any question about that. And it was showed in this game. You didn't turn the ball over. You were effective. Yeah, you didn't hit a lot of threes, but that didn't matter because you did other things well. And listen, this Kansas team is probably not going to be hitting a lot of threes the rest of the season, which means that they have to do the other things well. Things like rebounding, things like 
not committing turnovers, and hitting free throws. They did that again in this game against Oklahoma, and it resulted in a comfortable win. I don't know how many more comfortable wins you're going to get. I mean, you win this game by 12 at home. I don't know how many more games like this you're going to get, maybe. You might have a chance for a few this week, but they're on the road, so who knows. And that was my other takeaway is, you know, Bill Self has always talked about how you win all your home games and you can go 500 on the road. That's probably going to put you in good shape. You know, nine plus basically five or four, you know, and then you're talking about, you know, 14 and four, 13 and five at that point, and, and you're in good shape. And I think home games now, especially for Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, to me become almost even more important this season because you look at the Big 12 to start conference play, and it has been brutal, brutal for teams on the road in the Big 12. Uh, I was just doing the math earlier on the Big 12. So team, right now, the road team in the Big 12 is 6-15. and 6-15. and 15. That is very, very rough. Very, very rough. It is very difficult to win on the road. Kansas obviously learned that against UCF. It doesn't seem to matter what the level what the level of the competition is. It is tough to win on the road right now in the Big 12. And Kansas has two road games coming up against the two worst teams in the conference this week, Oklahoma State and West Virginia. But again, is it a guarantee they're going to go 2-0? I don't, I don't know. I don't know that you can confidently say that when you look at kind of how everybody else has performed on the road and the fact that Kansas already lost once on the road against UCF, who's probably the third-worst team in the conference. Oh, and by the way, KU was up 16 in the first half in that game. So road games, no matter who they're against, are not a guarantee at all in the slightest. And that just, to me, puts even more of an emphasis on winning all of your home games. You absolutely have to win out at home, I think, at this point, if you if you are a team that legitimately wants to win the Big 12. You need to be going 9-0 and or 8-1 and at worst in, in at home in conference play. And obviously... That's what Bill Self has done for so many years at Allenfield. So you feel pretty good about that if you're Kansas. But uh, that, I think there's just extra added importance to that as well uh, here with the way kind of things are shaping up early in Big 12 conference play. All right. I want to do, I do want to touch now on the Lance Leipold stuff. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll get into Lance Leipold. Sunday afternoon, it was a wild, probably 45 minutes to an hour of time period on Sunday afternoon with Lance Leipold in Washington. Get into that. And also uh, Matt Tate of the All-NS1 Sports is going to join the show in about 20 minutes. We'll talk about Lance Leipold and a lot more here. That's coming up. But uh, let's get more into Lance Leipold coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. And uh, so it's some Nick Chalk sports talk here on RCST. Coming up in a little less than 20 minutes, we're going to be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports to talk a little KU football and KU basketball. Uh, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get to talking a little bit more about KU and Oklahoma State, that game tonight here on KLWN, along with uh, Kansas women's basketball, which we'll get into. KU football did also pick up a transfer portal commit. We'll talk about that in the 4 o'clock hour. Plus, it was the NFL Super Wildcard Weekend. Get into that a little bit and hear from Bill Self coming up in the 5 o'clock hour ahead of KU and Oklahoma State. But some huge news over the weekend. It really started to unfold on Sunday with uh, Washington, University of Washington. They lose Kalen DeBoer to, to Alabama, and that was kind of the first domino effect situation. And reports started flying on Sunday, you know, late morning, early afternoon about the candidates, and it really seemed as though at one point Washington was making a big push for none other than Lance Leipold. And 
Then there was some very, very tense, probably 45 minutes to an hour or so, where it kind of did seem like maybe Lance Leipold was going to be lured away. And then uh, Lance, hit, hit from his own personal Twitter account, fires off a little tweet that basically says, uh, I can't wait to be back for Kansas to Kansas in 2024. More reports come out. It seems that he, that Leipold was offered Washington, the Washington job, and he said, nah, I'll stay right here in Lawrence, Kansas. So a roller coaster of emotions there. And my immediate thought here, my immediate reaction to this is, this is vastly different, vastly different from the previous coaching vacancies that Lance Leipold has been linked to or that Kansas fans have been worried about Lance Leipold jumping to. You rewind back to the Nebraska, the Michigan States, even the Wisconsin's. Those were jobs that Lance Leipold was rumored to be a candidate, but it was never reported that he was ever offered any of those jobs. Okay, That is a very, very, very important distinction. He was not offered any of those jobs. He was a candidate, but was not offered. All reports would indicate that Lance Leipold was, in fact, offered the Washington job. As in, Washington said, hey, we want you to be the next head coach at Washington. And Lance Leipold said no. He said, I'm good. I I like what I'm building here in Lawrence, Kansas. Literally and metaphorically, because we don't have a stadium. (laughs) Okay? Just just really, really incredible stuff. Uh, And then it, it sounds like, you know, Washington was interested in Jed Fish. Maybe there was some Chris Kleiman interest. I don't really know about that one. Uh, and ultimately, after the Lance Leipold, it would seem as though reports would indicate that he did turn it down. Washington d- did go ahead and settle on Jed Fish, the coach at Arizona, and he is the new head coach at Washington. And that's great news, obviously, on two fronts for Kansas. Number one, Lance Leipold staying it in Lawrence. But number two, Arizona was looking like probably one of the favorites to win the Big 12 next season with Jed Fish. Now he's gone. However, there have been some reports suggesting that uh, Fafita, the quarterback, and McMillan, the star receiver that Arizona has, sounds like they might be staying in Arizona, which would make me think that they are still a could be a dangerous team. They just hired the they just hired the head coach from San Jose State, by the way, to replace to replace Fish at Arizona. So, but certainly that's that's kind of the tangential storyline. The main storyline here is obviously Lance Leipold says. I want to be in Lawrence, Kansas. This is where I want to be. And now there's some now there's rumblings or reports of possibly that uh, a new contract could be signed by Lance Leipold here soon. Nothing official yet on that on that front. Obviously, whenever it does happen, we'll we'll get to it. But uh, in terms of this Washington situation, the biggest thing to me is this demonstrates Lance Leipold's commitment to Kansas. This demonstrates his commitment to building a winning program in Lawrence. And let me just say this: this does not happen. This does not happen in this era of athletics, of college athletics or even professional athletics. This doesn't happen. When a coach gets an opportunity to move up in prestige, in program, he does. He or she does. That's how this works. That's how this works. This doesn't happen, okay? Because this would undoubtedly be a jump up for a guy like Lance Leipold. Washington was literally in the national championship game. Literally in the national championship game two weeks ago against Michigan. They are going to the Big Ten. They are very, very secure in their prestige of their program, and they are very, very, very strong in a position to be continue to be successful in the Big Ten. They don't have any really recruiting rivals in the in that area in Seattle. They don't have any real any anything really to stop them from continuing to be a very high level program. 
definitely a program that you would want to go to if you are a coach looking to move up. But not for Lance Leipold. He he's he's definitely more interested in staying at Kansas and building what he has going on here at Kansas. So just just incredible incredible display of his commitment, uh, of of his integrity of staying at Kansas. I mean, if Lance Leipold would have left for Washington on Sunday, the KU football program, it would have been a literal nuke going off, literally and metaphorically, because you've already nuked your stadium, and now your program would have been nuked in that case. I mean that that I don't think that's an exaggeration really at all, because you probably would have lost a lot of players to the transfer portal at that point, and all of a sudden, everything that you everything that you worked for with Lance Leipold in the past three years probably would have been gone, right? Probably would have been gone. KU's program is not in a position to withstand losing Lance Leipold right now. Now there will come a time where obviously either he's going to retire from Kansas or he will maybe move on potentially in the future. And Kansas might be in a better position to to withstand that, but it would have been an absolute disaster if he would if he had decided to pack up and go to Washington on Sunday. So really, really great news for Kansas, obviously. And I think Travis Goff also deserves a ton of credit here. Travis Goff has been outstanding. You know, obviously Lance Leipold has has been everything that Kansas could have dreamed of, I think, so far over the first three seasons as head coach at KU. But none of this really happens without without Travis Goff also, right? And his relationship with Lance Leipold and his ability to, to, to sort of drive things for Kansas, obviously he's he's kind of spearheading the, the, the Gateway Project and, and building the new stadium and all that, right? And all that is, is, is you know, it's, it, it's sort of a chicken-egg situation where it's like without Lance Leipold and what he's been doing on the football field and with the program, Travis Goff wouldn't be able to work his magic. But without Travis Goff, and that relationship he has with Lance Leipold, maybe that success wouldn't be there, or maybe Lance Leipold wouldn't be so much so dedicated to sticking around, right? Because that relationship does matter, hundred percent. So, big shout out to Travis Goff, huge shout out to Travis Goff. And like I said, this is also a shift in the Big Twelve because now Arizona suddenly a program that again was probably looking like one of the top programs in the Big Twelve takes a big hit, and now if you're Kansas, that makes things look even brighter for you in terms of your Big 12 title aspirations and beyond. So uh, a crazy, crazy basically hour and a half on Sunday afternoon. Uh, If you happen to be on social media or if you happen to be checking out uh, message boards or this, that, or the other, because it really did seem like for a little bit there that that Washington had zeroed in on Lance Leipold and they they were going to potentially get him. But uh, things played out differently. Luckily for luckily for Kansas, so I think that just it just made me kind of sit back and reflect again on the significance of getting a guy like Lance Leipold and you know a, a guy like Lance Leipold, a coach like Lance Leipold. They those guys don't just grow on trees. They don't just they don't come around very often. Because again, in in especially at the college level in college athletics, if you are a coach and you have a chance to move up, both financially and in, in prestige in terms of you know moving moving forward that way you do it that's just how that's just how things that's just how this works in in, in the modern athletic world you have a chance to move up you do it but Lance Leipold clearly sees that Kansas has the potential to reach the same level of pro of a prestige that Washington can or the Washington has and obviously that means that 
you look at Washington, they went to the national title game. Could that be in Kansas' near future? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think Lance Leipold probably sees that as, as a possibility. Otherwise, maybe he might have left uh, for Washington. So, very, very good news for Kansas all around. And uh, I, I don't, I mean, I was almost at a loss for words as I was kind of trying to formulate my thoughts on Sunday afternoon, especially, you know, going through all the different messages, going through all the fact that, you know, for five minutes he was gone, for five minutes he was back, for five minutes nobody knew, and then he was gone again, then it was, it was unclear again, and then uh, just just uh, <laughs> glad Kansas came out the way they did, certainly. Certainly glad Kansas came out the way they did there because, uh, again, I think it would have been it would have been an unmitigated disaster if uh, if if Lance had decided to move on. So, but he's a Jayhawk. Great news for Kansas. And again, sounds like possibly there could be a contract potentially between him and Kansas even more so to lock him down even further. We'll see what happens with that if that does come out. But really, really good stuff there from KU and from Lance Leipold. And as a result of that. Kansas landed a commit out of the transfer portal that we will talk a little bit more about coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, but right for right now, let's take a break here. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports uh, to talk a little bit more. I want to get his thoughts a little bit on what the significance of Lance Leipold's thing at Kansas is. And, of course, we'll talk some KU basketball as well as Kansas takes on Oklahoma State tonight at 8 o'clock. Coming up later on the 4 o'clock hour, also we'll get to some women's basketball talk as Kansas women's basketball in action tonight as well. Dive deeper into a preview of KU Oklahoma State and get a little bit a little bit of NFL wildcard talk in as well as Rock Chuck Pickhawk and uh, we'll hear from Bill Self and Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams coming up later on in the show. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out, and it's been a fun show so far. I just had a, some good conversation about uh, what happened with Lance Leipold over the weekend and everything, and and right now I'm joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports. And Matt, it's the middle of January, conference play is going on for Kansas basketball, but I do want to talk Kansas football first, and this may be a first for you. I don't know if you've ever talked Kansas football at this point in the season for Kansas basketball, but, man, I feel like we got to address what happened over the weekend on Sunday afternoon with Lance Leipold and everything going on with the Washington coaching job. Uh, Lance Leipold ultimately sends out kind of a, a tweet that basically says he's coming back, and it's like, whoa, what's going on? Uh, I guess from your perspective, just how significant was it for Lance Leipold to basically spurn the Washington job and say, you know what, no, I'm planting my flag here in Lawrence. I want to stay at KU. Well, yeah, it's obviously what he's been saying all along. And um, even with that being the case, it, it makes people uneasy when, when his name shows up on lists. Uh, and, and not just people, not just fans, uh, his boss, uh, Athletic Director Travis Goff, I'm sure was also very uneasy uh, when, when, when his name shows up on that list and, and, you know, things get a little serious there. So um, it's obviously huge for him to, you know, I guess have the opportunity 
to continually renew his commitment to Kansas. Uh, it doesn't hurt for him that a lot of those moments come with a new contract or a raise or, you know, an opportunity to extend yourself a little bit. You know, th- those are good things for him and his future and his family. So uh, I'm sure he's fine doing that as much as they want to or need to. But I, I think it, it, it it's great for the fan base. It's great for the program. It's great for the rest of the country to see that this, this guy's here. He's happy to stay. He's happy to be here. And, uh, you know, he's, he's building – what what he builds and what he can do and what his track record as a head coach has shown, he wants to do all that and more uh, in Lawrence. And, and, you know, getting that sort of affirmation and hearing that, uh, you know, re, re-emphasized or, or whatever the case is, is never a bad thing. I mean, it's, it's obviously something that, that the fans can really rally around and, and they feel loved. Um, he gets to feel the love from them. You know, you saw on, on Twitter, it was not hard to see. People were tagging him. People were tagging Kelly, his wife. I mean, they, they wanted him to stay, and they wanted him to know they wanted him to stay. So um, it, 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 it's a beautiful marriage, man. There's, there's, there's a lot to like about Kansas being, or Lance being at Kansas, and, and obviously the fans are, are uh, thrilled that he's not going anywhere. Yeah, and, and really, I mean, you think about that, that sort of hour of time in, on Sunday afternoon. It was definitely a bit stressful, I think, for, for like you said, more than just the fans, probably uh, Travis Scoff as well. Uh, but on to basketball here on, on Saturday, Kansas took down Oklahoma at home at Allen Fieldhouse, 78-66. to pretty, pretty convincing win, really, for Kansas. They pulled away in the second half. Uh, really what stood out the most was the fact that they had just two turnovers in the game, which, by the way, tied a, a program record for fewest in a game for Kansas. You know, And you think about that, over 130 years of history from Kansas. Uh, I guess what stood out to you about the fact that Kansas was able to limit their turnovers and how much that success led them in this game against Oklahoma? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously proof that they can do it. Um, it. It's also kind of fluky. You know, just, just like having a game with 25 or 28 turnovers is kind of fluky. Um, just one of those games where it's like, eh, a couple of bad bounces and next thing you know we're 20-plus turnovers or whatever. Um, I think the fluky meter goes the other way too, right? Like it can be, it can be two is in two two is an absurd number. Like that just you know you have two or three or four a half just by the way the ball goes, by the way the game flow goes. I mean that to, to finish with two is is as much of anything as uh, you know a knock on Oklahoma as as, as anything. But still, um, it, it it's obviously shown that they can do that. And, and more than that, I think it's shown that they're, uh, that they're really emphasizing it and making sure that, you know, this is a priority for us. We know we're much better when we don't turn the ball over. And right now with the issues on the bench and the depth being a question and all that, uh, the guys that are out there better take care of the ball because they're the ones that, that, that carry the blame if it doesn't get done. And, you know, DeWan's been criticized plenty this year for his turnover struggles, which are relative, but still a thing. And, and you know, if you're going to celebrate that core four for what they bring to the table, um, you have to hold them to the same standard of, of taking care of the ball and not turning it over. So they've proven they can do it. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what it looks like tonight uh, on the road, different environment, and, and following it up. But, in, you know, anybody that expects them to get two in a game or, or to – limit themselves to two in a game anytime soon, if ever again, is, is probably setting the standard and the bar a little too high. It's, it's, you know, two is a ridiculous number. 
10 or less would be a good number to shoot for, and, and I think they're more than capable of that. That obviously, uh, you know, can can be proved and, and shown from, from the way they did it the other day. So um, don't expect two again. That's insane. I, I, I really <laughs> – I, I know I said that a thousand times, but I I just don't know that people can even I can't uh, grasp how how ridiculous that is. That's that's a heck of a game. Yeah, Johnny Furphy also made his first start for Kansas uh, in the game against Oklahoma. Seemed like he brought some explosiveness to them off the bench or into the starting lineup, I should say, from the bench. Uh, what what did you make of him in the starting lineup and and kind of how that fit together with the other four guys out there for KU? Yeah, it looked great, and and that's a big thing with this group. Um, those four guys, and we've seen this from time to time. You know, you can go back to oh, I wouldn't even know what year it was, fifteen maybe. Um, you know, and and they were struggling back then to to find the the big man to play, and eventually self left it up to the other four um, and said, who do you guys like playing with? Who do you want to play with? And, and Landon Lucas was the answer. It, Landon Lucas wasn't the most athletic dude. Landon Lucas wasn't the most physical dude. Landon Lucas wasn't the most um, the sexiest name, nothing like that. But he was always in the right spot. He was reliable. Um, and, and those other guys knew they could count on him. And so um, I, I think that, that this group is, is maybe getting to that point if they're not already there. It's like, you know, who, who does that four want to play with? Is, is it El Marco? Is it Furphy? Is it... Is it uh, Timberlake? I mean, you know, whatever the case is, let's go with that guy because um, th- those other four guys are, are, are they need to be at their peak for this team to play and achieve what it wants to achieve. And, and so the last thing they need to be worried about is what the fifth guy on the floor is doing with them, you know. So who are they most comfortable with? Right now it looks like Furphy. Um, he looked great. And, and uh, I, I think that's why tonight's so big, too. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested to see – you know, it's easy to make that start and to feel good and, and have a good performance in front of your home fans and, and you know, with very little pressure on you. But uh, going on the road in the Big 12 is no joke. Coming down to Stillwater is no joke. And uh, and now Furphy gets to do that and, and show what he can hand, if he can handle, you know, that sort of grind and, and, and the, all that comes with um, that role and responsibility in a, in a Big 12 road game. So, um for KU's sake, you got to hope it works out uh, because if if uh, if Furphy looks good again tonight, that's that's great news. I guess we don't know no for sure that he's starting, but I would assume he is, um, and, and that would obviously be really good news. And and you probably feel like that's where they're they're going to stay the rest of the way. Um, if he doesn't, if it doesn't look good, and he reverts and he makes a bunch of mistakes and looks timid and passive and all those things that you don't want to see, then. Um, I don't know what they do then because they they kind of be out of options. You know, it, it, we would know then it, it's it's not El Marco, it's not Timberlake, it's not Furby, but it's got to be one of them. So um, Kansas fans really, as much as they want obviously good games from everybody tonight, I think they would really or should be really hoping for a good game from Furby just because of the stability and and how it would solidify the lineup moving forward the rest of the way probably. So he's he's one to watch tonight for sure. Yeah, and I do think the the dichotomy of Furphy versus Jackson or even Timberlake of those guys is, to me, it seems like no matter which one of them starts, you, you're still going to end up needing productive minutes from the other guys, right? And El Marco Jackson right. ended up playing 
one less minute than Furphy in the game against Oklahoma. So you're still going to need some of those guys to be productive. I guess when, when you look at El Marco off the bench or when you look at Timberlake, who only I think only played three minutes in the game against against Oklahoma, when you look at those guys, I mean, I guess off the bench, what do they need to do to, to help still be productive even if they're not in the starting lineup? Yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing, and, and Self has said this a thousand times, if not a million times. I mean, when, when, you're, when you're a reserve, when you sub in and, and you're a bench guy, He's not asking you to go out there and build the lead. He, he, he doesn't expect, you know, all right, we're up to get in there, Timberlake. Go get us up 12. Like, no, he just wants you to come out up two or, or up three or, you know, at the very least right where you, right where you held the line. And, and you know, not, not, don't, don't contribute to the, to the downfall of what's happening. Just hold steady and, and then we'll put our, our starting group back out there and, and they'll do what they do. So, um, you know, that's something to remember, too. I, I don't think, you know, the, the, the role is important because every team needs a good bench and every team needs guys they can count on off the bench. And you can't play K.J. Adams and Dewan Harris and Kevin McCullough and Hunter Dickinson 40 minutes a game every game. They're going to break down. That's not going to be the recipe. That's not going to work. But um, you're also not asking any of those bench guys, whether it's Parker Brown or the, or the guards that we've mentioned, you know, you're not asking them to go out there and be all Americans. They just have to be serviceable. They have to be decent. They have to be, um, you know, smart, reliable, competitive, and and you know, responsible for for holding it down while they're out there. So I don't think it's a, a real tough ask. I don't think it's anything that that they can't do. Um, but confidence plays a big part in it. And so somewhere along the line, those guys need to find some more confidence and feel good about their contributions and their role. And uh, unfortunately, that's usually built through uh, the non-conference schedule and, and, you know, games against Southern Utah and Eastern Illinois or Kansas City or, you know, even Nebraska, Wichita State, those types of teams. Um, but those are gone now. This is this is Big 12 basketball the rest of the way. And um, it, 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 it's going to be much, much more difficult for those guys to build a ton of confidence, um, number one, because these are tough games and this is going to be a, a dogfight all the way. Number two, because, you know, we've seen plenty of times Bill Self has a hard time relying on his bench too much and trusting his bench too much when he doesn't know what he has there. So opportunities may be tougher to come by, too. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a real, a real interesting thing to watch over the next several weeks. And, and, uh, you know, I think the, the the expectations have to be limited somewhat. I mean, you know, you, you can't set the bar too high for what you can expect from this bench, but I do think they can get better. And, and if Furphy's the answer as that fifth starter, then um, that hopefully would, would allow the rest of the group to kind of, okay, now this is my role. I know what I am. I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus on this, this, and this and, and do it to the best of my ability. And maybe confidence comes from that. And uh, and then maybe everything clicks a little better together. So um, it's going to be really interesting, and it's a huge part of the rest of the season. Yeah, you look at this upcoming week for Kansas. Two road games this week against the two worst teams in the conference, Oklahoma State tonight, West Virginia coming up this weekend. But, Matt, I did some research. Big 12 road teams are just 6-15 and 15 right now in totality over the course of the start of conference play. Kansas, of course, is, is one of those 15 with a loss against UCF. You look at their two road games this week against Oklahoma State and West Virginia, two of the worst teams in the conference, just how significant are these games for Kansas to win on the road, even though they're against maybe some of the weaker teams in the conference so far this season? Oh, they're huge. They're huge. Yeah, I mean, you got to win these games 
if you consider yourself at all to be a, a true Big 12, you know, championship contender, um, which we all know Kansas does is year after year after year after year. So um, you can't lose this game tonight and, and think you're going to win the conference. You can't lose um, Saturday at West Virginia and, and think you're going to win the conference. Now, it could still happen because, you know, this conference is such a monster and guys are going to beat up on each other and all that stuff. So it's not over if it doesn't happen, but it would be really hard if they if things don't go well in these next two games. It would be hard for anyone, I think, to look Kansas and say, yeah, they're probably going to win the Big 12. Like, I think at that point it becomes, yeah, maybe they'll win the Big 12, but, boy, it's, it's far from a sure thing. Um, you win these two, and it's not a sure thing then either, but at least you took care of, you know, a couple of games that you had to have, uh, especially having given up one already with that loss at UCF. So, um these are monster games, and, and guess what? Next week when we talk, we're going to talk about those two games that week, and we're going to say those are monster games. And then the week <laughs> after that, if Derek's back, we're going to talk about the next two games and how those are monster games, and it's just going to keep going and keep going. And the only good thing about it, man, is that the more we talk about it, the closer we get to March, which means good weather and the best basketball. So I say let's keep talking about it. I'm in. I mean, I'm. I, we might sound like the uh, – Groundhog Day thing and the broken record, but I'm in. I'm not afraid of that because uh, this cold stuff is for the birds, and I'm ready for warmer weather and uh, and good basketball. So let's see it. Yeah, yeah, no, the weather definitely uh, has been has been brutal. Uh, And when you look at Oklahoma State tonight, uh, a team that historically Bill Self has not had great results against, always, especially on the road. Uh, I guess what's the what's the biggest key tonight? You think in this game specifically against Oklahoma State? Well, I, you know, I, I, it's funny because we already talked about the turnovers, but I think of so many games down here in Stillwater where Kansas has just lost the game because they've lost their composure. And um, I, I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, the, you know, the, the games they've won down here, the crowds have been trash, to be honest. I mean, not barely in the game, leaving early. And that's largely because Kansas has, has shown that they have a stranglehold on the game and they, they assert themselves and their dominance, and, and there's just not a whole lot for the home crowd to cheer about. But um, any time that, that, that KU's been in trouble down here or it's, it's you know, been on the fence or whatever the case is, and this crowd has a reason to believe they, they're going to win, and obviously any time, almost any time, it's a, you know, a, a highly ranked Kansas team coming down here. They get excited about that, of course, and, and all that, and, and the building gets alive, and, and everybody, you know, you can kind of feel those walls closing in on you. And, and, and when they lose their, their poise and their composure, um, you know, they, they really then just give it away. And so I think taking care of the ball is huge. Um, you know, fast start is obviously one way to take care of uh, uh, a road crowd. They didn't have that at UCF. Uh, they got down 7 nothing there, right, and that crowd was immediately into it back up 16 at that point and, and then collapse from there. So you can overcome a bad start. Um, but anybody you talk to is going to say a good start on the road is always a good idea. So, um, yeah, just whatever you can do to limit the, the opportunities for, for you to lose composure and, and the crowd to become a factor, I think that's huge. And, you know, Hunter Dickinson could play a pretty big role in that too. Um, if, if, if he can get going early and, and uh, show that, that he can't be guarded, which his numbers certainly show that. And uh, he's had plenty of games where that's looked like the case. Um, 
you know, th- those would be all good recipes for, for things to go well tonight. But again, um, it takes all five, uh, and, and you've got, you've got to take care of the ball. And, and so I think, I think a lot of eyes should be on Johnny Fergie for that reason, because, uh, I think he could show us a lot either way tonight and, uh, he'll be a lot of fun to watch. He is Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com. You can check out all of his work there. Matt, appreciate your time as always. You got anything specific about on R1S1 Sports you want to promote here? Let's see. Specific. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I just did this yesterday and, and uh, sent it out, what we're working on. But, um, you know, honestly, it's a big week for the women's team. We, we, you probably talked about it a little bit, but they play at number 11 Texas tonight and at number 7 K-State. Um, this weekend. So uh, when you consider that they're coming off back-to-back wins and a big win over number four Baylor, um, it's been a lot of attention going their way lately, and, and that's included at our site. So a lot of good stuff there, a lot more to come, and, uh, and then hopefully some football stuff too because, you know, obviously the 2024 season is a long way away, but because of all that Lance stuff and the Sunday scare and and him talking about the season actually started Monday. Uh, you know, it's it's actually here. It's on. So um, try to find some stories there and and, and keep that uh, a 365 day a year kind of kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's a football school again. So might as well might as well have coverage year round like we do with basketball. So um, lots of stuff there. And then of course coverage from tonight's game in Stillwater. I'm down there or almost down there. We're driving down right now, but. Um, We'll be there and uh, all kinds of fun from that, I'm sure, depending on what happens. So good stuff, hopefully, and uh, you guys can come be the judge of that. Let me know if it's not. <laughs> all right, once again, he is Matt Tate from R1S1 Sports. Matt, I guess uh, safe travels around the rest of the Stillwater there, and uh, thanks for thanks for hopping on again. All right, man, thanks a bunch. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. All right, thanks, Matt. That was Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We'll get into KU Oklahoma State. A little bit more of a deeper dive coming up here on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320. KLWN, depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320. KLWN, depend on it. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out. Nick Chalk Sports Talk on this Tuesday here on RCST. Uh, just fest- finished up a good conversation with Matt Tate of All One Us One Sports uh, at the end of the three o'clock hour. Coming up here later on in the four o'clock hour, we'll get to a little bit more on KU football. Not only did Lance Leipold stick around, they got a commitment out of the transfer portal that I want to touch on. And Kansas women's basketball has a game tonight, uh, taking on Texas in a big game for the women. And also, it was NFL Super Wild Card Weekend over the weekend. Talk a little bit more about that. And in fact, you may have heard some of uh, our coverage here on Westwood One on KLWN of some of the uh, NFL wildcard games. That was, of course, why we did not have a show yesterday because of the Steelers and uh, Steelers and uh, Bills game that got moved back to uh, yesterday afternoon. And at 5 o'clock hour, we'll hear from Bill Self, Hunter Dickinson, and K.J. Adams after the Oklahoma game and ahead of the Oklahoma State game. Also get into a Rock Chalk Pickahawk as well. But uh, might as well dive into a little bit deeper into Oklahoma State here as Kansas takes on Oklahoma State tonight. Uh, you'll be able to hear some of that game right here on KWN. Our coverage is going to be kind of chopped up a little bit. We're going to start with a little bit of uh, men's pregame coverage here at 6.30, but at 6.45, we're going to be switching over to pregame coverage of the women's game here on KWN with the women tipping off at 7 o'clock against Texas. And then at the conclusion of the women's game uh, afterwards, we'll switch back over to the remaining coverage of the men's game. 
If you want the totality of the Kansas men's coverage, you'll be able to hear that on our sister station with uh, 105.9 KISS. So we'll be kind of switching our coverage back and forth a little bit here on KLWN. But Oklahoma State uh, in Stillwater is where Kansas is going to play this game on the road against Oklahoma State. I mentioned the stat to Matt in our previous segment. Road teams in the Big 12, 6-15 and 15 right now. Of course, Kansas, they're one of those 15 with a loss against UCF in a game that they were up 16. So winning on the road is normally very tough in the Big 12, but right now to start conference play, it's especially tough. Uh, for all teams, not just Kansas. And so that kind of leads right into the first question regarding this game for Kansas and Oklahoma State is how important is this game for Kansas? I think it's very, very important. I mean, at this point in conference play, every game takes on sort of a heightened importance. In fact, Bill Self uh, almost went as far as to say the that the Oklahoma game was a must-win. He didn't quite say it, but he got about as close as he could to saying it, I think, uh, for Kansas against Oklahoma. Now you go on the road against an Oklahoma State team that is one of the worst teams in the conference. In fact, they are the second worst team in the conference based off Ken Palm at 108. By comparison, UCF is the third worst team in Ken Palm. They're at 78. So Oklahoma State and West Virginia, there is a significant gap between those two teams and sort of everybody else in the conference. I mean, we're talking about 40 spots uh, below what UCF is, who's the third best team in the conference, or the third worst team in the conference before you get to Oklahoma State. So there's a pretty significant gap uh, metrically between uh, so those top 12 teams, basically, and then Oklahoma State and, and West Virginia. And so you look at this game for Kansas, it's very important. I mean, you, you want to go on the road and win in the conference. And winning on the road is going to be the key to winning this conference, to winning the Big 12, to uh, putting up another banner for a Big 12 title, to, uh, to you know, continuing that, that to winning, the, this, winning the, the Big 12 title. So that's very, very important. And uh, listen, K already lost one game against a weaker team in the conference, in UCF, who's the third worst team in the conference. And I don't think that can happen again. Uh, if KU legitimately wants to win the Big 12. So to me, uh, again, maybe this is a must-win game for Kansas on the road against Oklahoma State uh, because, uh, again, you, you've you already lost one road game against a weaker opponent. I don't think you can afford to lose another if you want to be a legitimate Big 12 title contender if you're Kansas. So this game takes on maybe some extra heightened importance because of that. And again, Bill Self has at times not been great uh, in, in Stillwater against Oklahoma State. He's been on a pretty good run recently, but... Uh, there's been some not so great times for him in Stillwater, uh, back back where he you know his old stopping ground. So uh, Kansas comes into this game as a seven and a half point favorite over Oklahoma State. This is an Oklahoma State team that they've had kind of a I mean they're eight and eight. They are zero and three in the Big Twelve. They started off Big Twelve play though at home with an overtime loss against Baylor uh, in a really really tight game that they battled to the end. They lose that game in overtime. And then they had Oklahoma State kind of had a funky week last week uh, with Texas Tech and Iowa State. They actually dealt with major travel issues for both of those games. Uh, for the Texas Tech game, they had there was extreme high winds that uh, de really delayed them from getting to the game, and uh, so much so that that game was de or the Iowa State game. One of their games was delayed. I think it was the Iowa State game actually that uh, actually got delayed because they couldn't get in until the day of. They end up losing big in both those games against Texas Tech and against Iowa State. They lose to Texas Tech 90-73. They lose to Iowa State 66-42. to A combined 156-115 to uh, in those two games against Texas Tech and Iowa State uh, on the road. And, but, but again, they were dealing with some outstanding circumstances with the weather, uh, with, with travel, with the snow, with the blizzard conditions and winds and things like that. So, But two tough road losses for Oklahoma State. Now they come back home against Kansas and... This is, it feels like this is kind of a, a real fork in the road for Oklahoma State for their season. 
You lose against Kansas. You're going to be 0-4. Then you go on the road against Kansas State before you come back home to play TCU if you're Oklahoma State. I mean, you lose this game and your season, may it may already be done right now, but you lose against Kansas and I think you are effectively completely done. I mean, you're at 8-8, eight and eight, you'd be 8-9 and nine with 0-4 start in conference play if you lose this game against Kansas. So, uh, But a chance to maybe rise from the ashes for Oklahoma State if they could find a way to, to win at home. And if I'm Oklahoma State, that's probably the message is, hey, listen, you can win at home. Took Baylor to, took Baylor to overtime at home in the first conference game. When you're at home, things just tend to go a little bit better for you. So uh, that that would be kind of my message of I'm Oklahoma State. From the Kansas perspective, you feel pretty good heading into this game. Oklahoma State, when you look at what they do well, the biggest thing that, that kind of jumps out for Oklahoma State, the, the two things that jump out is they are a pretty strong uh, rebounding team, especially at denying offensive rebounds. That's really what they, they're pretty good at. Uh, so, you know, not giving up a lot of second-chance opportunities to Kansas could be could be key for, for Oklahoma State. And the other thing is this is a this is actually a pretty good three-point shooting team for Oklahoma State. They're 62nd in the country in three-point shooting at 36%, uh, and they do have a couple guys that could light it up. Obviously, Bryce Thompson is a name that Kansas fans should be very familiar with. He's had some games where he's really gone off against Kansas uh, previously. Uh, and when you look at their three-point shooting, they have three guys, four really four guys, but three three main guys I think you definitely want to keep an eye on. Javon Small, who's been really, really good for them so far this season, averaging almost 15 points per game. Uh, their point guard, he's been really, really strong. Uh, he is shooting it at 40% from three, almost 41% from three on pretty high volume, 84 attempts at 40% from three. The 84, that's the most amount of attempts of anybody on the team, and he's their best three-point shooter by percentage as well, So, or, what, or second best, actually. Uh, so he is very dangerous. T- Bryce Thompson has also been shooting the ball well from three this season on 68 attempts. He is 37% from three. But then another guy to keep an eye on is uh, Jarius Hicklin, who comes off the bench for them, uh, shooting his, on 66 attempts, so just two less attempts than Bryce Thompson. He is shooting at 44% from three. So he's a guy you definitely want to keep an eye on off the bench especially. And then John Michael Wright, another guy that, that fans should be familiar with from some of the previous matchups against Oklahoma State. He's not having as great of a year this year. He's just at 30% from three on pretty high volume uh, and has been kind of coming off the bench a little bit more. Uh, for Oklahoma State, so so Javon Small, Bryce Thompson, and Hicklin are the guys or are the guys you want to keep an eye on, uh, especially from the perimeter for for Oklahoma State. And then another thing for Oklahoma State, and again, this is this is kind of a rinse and repeat, I think, for a lot of teams in the Big Twelve. In terms of size and depth of size, they don't really have a ton to match up with Hunter Dickinson necessarily particularly well. Uh, the one of their big men is Mike Marsh, a six foot ten, two hundred fifty pounder who's averaging just. Uh, who's averaging just just under six points per game. He's one of their big men, and then they have uh, another big man that they like to bring in as well. But in terms of height, it goes to Hunter Dickinson. It goes to Hunter Dickinson without a doubt. They do have a, a an interesting piece uh, as at their three four spot, which is uh, Eric Daly. He is a freshman, a six foot eight freshman. He's been playing pretty well for them. He's up to just under ten points per game, and he's third on the team in rebounding as well. That's Daly, Eric Daly, a, a freshman for Oklahoma State. So he could be a guy maybe to keep an eye on as well. But to me, you look at this game, and I think for Oklahoma State, if they get hot from three, I think you get concerned if you're Kansas because Kansas has not been shooting the ball well from three recently. Their, their three-point their three numbers metrically are still pretty high because of what they were doing earlier in the season. And they honestly, they don't shoot it a lot. So that kind of has helped buoy their numbers as well, I think. They're still 44th in the country in three-point percentage overall. But obviously, coming off a game against Oklahoma where they shot just 3 of 15, 
Uh, when you look at Oklahoma State, beyond the three-point shooting uh, and the rebounding, they're not a great team at forcing turnovers. In fact, they're one of the worst teams at forcing turnovers. And not only that, not only are they, are they one of the worst teams at forcing turnovers, they're also one of the worst offenses in terms of committing turnovers. They commit turnovers uh, at 20% of their possessions. That's 305th in the country. So one of the worst teams uh, in turnovers, and they get the ball stolen from them a lot. That's been their main issue. So you think about that. If you're giving up a lot of steals, that's giving up a lot of live ball turnovers, which should lead to potentially easy points for Kansas at the other end. They have 346 in the country in steal percentage on offense, meaning they're they're really, really bad at, at, uh, at having steals against them. So that could be an area where if you look at Kansas, okay, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, you know, active hands, force some turnovers, and maybe you can uh, maybe that can lead to some points for you at the other end of the floor uh, if you're if you're if you're Kansas. Oklahoma State does not run a particularly high tempo, so this is not going to be a game like TCU or even really UCF to a little bit of an extent. This is not a team that that's going to look to push the, the pace too much, I don't think, in this game, which probably plays to the benefit of Kansas because again. You look at Kansas, they're, they're leaning on their defense, right? They've got the 11th best defense in the country in Ken Palm, 40th on offense. So the defense has been the strength of them uh, so far this season. Uh, their rebounding continues to get better and better for, for Kansas, which has been really, really nice. Uh, they've been strong on two-point percentage defense. Uh, they've been overall pretty good uh, across the board on defense, uh, especially in the half court. And I think with Oklahoma State's tempo, you're going to have a good chance to see more of that tonight for Kansas. Uh, against Oklahoma State, so again, I think if you can just mitigate three-point shooting and not let these guys, not let some of these, some of the three-point shooters get hot, you know, small at forty-one percent. Bryce Thompson has had some games where he's really gone off. Hicklin off the bench has been really, really good for for Oklahoma State so far this season. So they definitely have some guys that could be concerning uh, in terms of getting hot from beyond the arc. And again, if you're Kansas. To me, that that's probably, especially for a team like Oklahoma State, who really doesn't have anything else to hang their hat on in terms of strength. If you're Kansas, that's got to be a real concern. You you know you you can't let a team just shoot the lights out on you and, and get a win like that. So that'll be, I think, a big factor. Uh, again, for Oklahoma State, they are not a great team at forcing turnovers. So this should be another game where Kansas should be able to build some confidence in terms of taking care of the ball. I heard Matt Tate talk about that uh, right at the end of our interview with him earlier in the three o'clock hour. In that. Oklahoma was kind of the same way. Oklahoma was not necessarily a great team at forcing turnovers, and Kansas was able to only turn it over twice, right? Program tied a program record. Uh, I would expect Kansas to be in a position to hopefully not commit a lot of turnovers again against Oklahoma State uh, if, if they can play smart, but we'll see what happens, right? On the road, see what kind of environment Oklahoma State has coming into this game, and uh, it should be a, certainly an interesting matchup, I think, in this one for Kansas. And again, back-to-back -back road games this week for Kansas, tonight against Oklahoma State, then against West Virginia, the two worst teams in the conference right now. And these are two games that you absolutely have to win if you're Kansas, I think, uh, in order to maintain pace early in conference play if you are dreaming about a Big 12 title, which as uh, every year Kansas normally is. So big game tonight against Oklahoma State on the road once again for our coverage here on KLWN. We're going to be airing the KU women's game at 7 o'clock with pregame coverage starting at 6.45. The KU men's game tips off at 8. So the women's game should hopefully be wrapping up by 9, 9.15-ish, and then we'll flip over to the remaining coverage of the KU men's game from then on out. If you do want the totality of the KU men's broadcast, you'll be able to hear that on our sister station with uh, 105.9 KISS. So we'll have the women's game 
uh, to start at 7 o'clock before getting over to the men's coverage later on in the evening as a KU busy night again for Kansas basketball, uh, both for the men and the women. And I think uh, for the men on this game, in this game against Oklahoma State, I think KU wins if they just take care of the ball and continue to feed Hunter Dickinson and get him going. It doesn't. I don't think Oklahoma State has really anybody that's a great matchup defensively for Hunter Dickinson, so it feels like he should have an opportunity to 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 step up and and have a really really nice game and uh, just limit the turnovers and uh, also let Furphy continue to sort of grow into his role. You know, this is going to be a real test for him. It's easy to make your first start at home. Now you're going on the road. What does that look like? We'll see with Furphy as well. So feel pretty good about this one for Kansas, but it's on the road. And I mentioned big, big 12 teams are 6-15 and 15 collectively on the road so far this season. So it has not been easy for anybody in the Big 12 on the road to start conference play. So uh, we'll see what happens with KU tonight against Oklahoma State. All right, we'll take a timeout here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll get a little bit into uh, Kansas women's basketball. As I said, they got a game tonight against Texas. Get a little bit into that and also break down the latest commitment for Kansas football out of the transfer portal after Lance Leipold announced he was coming back, or I guess didn't really announce, but basically put out a tweet and said that he was going to be staying at Kansas. Kansas landed a commitment out of the transfer portal. We'll talk more about that coming up on the other side. Later on in the hour, we'll get into a little bit of talk about the NFL wildcard weekend as well as uh, there were some interesting results, to say the least, over the weekend in the NFL and get ready for the divisional round of the playoffs coming up this weekend. Which, by the way, some of those divisional round games, you'll, you'll be able to hear select coverage right here on KLWN with Westwood One's radio broadcast coverage of the NFL playoffs. I will take a time out. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Nick Chalk Sports Talk as Derek Johnson is out. And over the weekend, the NFL first weekend of the uh, Super Wild Card wrapped up. And it was safe to say there was definitely some, some, some surprises. Uh, and it started on Saturday afternoon with the first game of the weekend with the Houston Texans just absolutely blasting the Cleveland Browns. Uh, really embarrassing the Browns' defense. C.J. Stroud looked incredible. And as that game was unfolding, I was sitting there thinking, man, do I am I sure that I want the Steelers to possibly beat the Bills? Like, do I really want the Chiefs to play potentially the Texans at home? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the Texans looked very, very good and very dangerous. And I think that should be an interesting matchup with them now going to Baltimore coming up in the divisional round. But, uh, yeah, a young team that uh, maybe is is naive to the point where they don't even know what they're doing and, uh, you know, taking care of business against the Browns. Joe Flacco's Cinderella story tragically comes to an end. Uh, and uh, I would have to assume, I mean, I guess, I don't know what, what the Browns do. I mean, Joe Flacco, I would think, I would think he goes back into retirement, I guess. I'm not really sure, to be honest. Uh, but the Browns... Uh, you know, listen. Their season was. It seemed like it was seemingly over before they uh, before they bring, brought in Joe Flacco. So, I guess the fact that they made it to where they did is still pretty impressive. But uh, Texans destroy the Browns. They move on as the four seed. And then uh, on Saturday night, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs taking on Miami in one of the coldest games in NFL history. And man, I, I didn't want to buy into it, but I really did. By the time game, by the time kickoff happened. I didn't really want to buy into the idea of, oh, the Dolphins have no chance. The Chiefs should easily win this game. 
There's no way the Dolphins are going to win in the cold, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but and I just, I was nervous. I didn't want to totally buy into that narrative, uh, but I sort of started to, to talk myself into it by the time kickoff rolled around. And then as the game unfolded, I realized, okay, yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Dolphins never had a chance, right? Uh, never had a chance. Chiefs win 26-7. to uh, Again, Harrison Bucker kicking a lot of field goals, but the Chiefs get it done. Defense was phenomenal. There's the video of Legereus Sneed just jamming Tyreek Hill into the turf uh, as well to the point where Tyreek Hill even even quote tweeted it and said that he jammed him. He jammed him back to Cancun, which I guess is true. I don't know if that's where Tyreek Hill is now, but uh, he certainly is. I can tell you where he's not. He's not preparing for the next round of the NFL playoffs because the Chiefs really, really dominated. And uh, Tyreek Hill did get his, though. He had that one long touchdown. But other than that, uh, the Chiefs come away with a big win at home at Arrowhead Stadium. And uh, then everyone's eyes turned to the Buffalo Bills and the Steelers game, which was going to take place on Sunday, but the Chiefs then had to wait even longer to determine what, where they were going to be heading, whether they were going to be heading to Buffalo or hosting Houston, because that game ultimately got delayed uh, due to the, uh, the the severe snow that Buffalo got. I think they got something like almost three feet of snow over the weekend, so that delayed the game into Monday, uh, which we'll get to that here in a moment. I want to go through these kind of chronologically because then they, on Sunday, you still had two games on Sunday scheduled with the Green Bay and Dallas and uh, the L.A. Rams taking on the Lions. And boy, the Dallas Cowboys, man. The Dallas Cowboys, first of all, the Dallas Cowboys have made Stephen A. Smith <laughs> such a rich individual because he continues to prey on their downfall and they continue to feed content in terms of them just utterly collapsing and it happened again from the get-go. Green Bay, they take the ball, they go down and score. And another great defense that just did not have any answers in the playoffs. Happened with the Browns against the Texans. And it happened again with uh, Green Bay and Dallas. Jordan Love, I've been on Jordan Love's train for a while. I think he's I think he's legit. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's, you know, Hall of Fame level like Aaron Rodgers or, or maybe Brett Favre was. But I think he's definitely a legit starting quarterback. And I think he can put Green Bay in position to be a real threat in the NFC uh, going forward. Uh, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he'll ever win a Super Bowl or not, but he's, I think he's definitely very, very good, and it's great to see that he's kind of blossomed into his own. And uh, Green Bay really, really takes it to Dallas. There was maybe a few tense moments there. Dallas cuts it to 16 and, and uh, about to try an onside kick. Green Bay actually ends up putting Jordan Love back in the game if they, after they pulled him earlier in the fourth quarter. So kind of a funny way to end the game, but... But uh, never really a doubt there. Green Bay, a uh, big win against Dallas. And, man, for the Cowboys, man, I, I, there's just no words left to say, really, about them, how how badly they continue to just bungle all of these situations in the playoffs. They had this incredible home winning streak. You you know, Philly stumbles down the stretch, so you're able to get the division win so you can host in the playoffs. And then that happens. Uh, just, just terrible for Dallas, which obviously a lot of people celebrate because – Dallas, you either love him or hate him. Uh, so they go down in flames. Mike McCarthy, you would think, is gone. Uh, I don't think that's officially happened, though, yet, but we'll see with Jerry Jones. And then you have the whole situation with Dak Prescott. Did the Cowboys get rid of him and go a different direction at the quarterback position? A lot of tough decisions to be made in Dallas, uh, considering what they've done over the last three, four years, and they have literally nothing to show for it. So just brutal. But you're excited for Green Bay. I don't know how much of a chance Green Bay has going on the road to, to uh, San Francisco, but we'll see. And then in the game in the evening, the Detroit Lions taking on the Los Angeles Rams in the battle of former quarterbacks against their opposing teams. 
with Stafford coming back to Detroit and Goff welcoming in Los Angeles. And uh, it was it really ended up being a great game. Uh, that was a lot of fun to watch, and uh, Stafford got beat up quite a bit in the game. Uh, and ultimately, Jared Goff makes that throw to Amon Ross St. Brown at the end to get the Lions the first down. They get the win, uh, which is really great to see for for the city of, of Detroit. You know, there's just there's something about there's something about seeing teams that have experienced long periods of failure, long periods of not being successful in the playoffs. There's something about seeing a team finally break through that that really is it really is nice to see, right? It really is nice to see. So uh, it was kind of well worth it for the Lions. First playoff win since 1991. You know, obviously the Chiefs have been in that situation for a while as well, right? Where they had they had not been able to really kind of break through. Uh, so nice to see for for a, a team, a franchise, and a city to to kind of have that moment. So Lions hang on, they get the win, and then the question for the Lions was, is it Tampa Bay or Philadelphia that uh, they'll be hosting? Right, that was the question. Then Monday rolls around. Yesterday, you could have heard the, the coverage of the Westwood One, by the way, uh, Westwood One coverage of the radio broadcast uh, over the weekend. You'll be able to hear more select coverage coming up this upcoming weekend. Because of KU basketball on Saturday, probably it'll be a little bit spotty on the coverage there, but on Sunday, certainly, including the Chiefs game on Sunday, you'll be able to hear uh, right here on KWN Westwood One's coverage. And uh, Kevin Harlan, by the way, is going to be on the call for Westwood One for the Chiefs game. So former voice of the Chiefs going to be calling the Chiefs game coming up on Sunday. You'll be able to hear that right here on KLWN, which is pretty cool. Uh, so the Bills, they get up big against the Steelers, and you think, okay, yep, Steelers suck. Bills going to just dominate them. But then the Steelers came back and definitely made it interesting, but I don't know how much of a chance they ever really truly had. That was that was kind of the question. Uh, but uh, the Bills, they hang on. They get the win. Josh Allen had a great touchdown run in the game, and uh, they're, they're going to be hosting Kansas City, right? And then you get Tampa Bay owning Philly. And really, just kind of the the final the final straw for Philadelphia, right? I mean, ten and one after they beat the Chiefs. Nick Sirianni goes on that ridiculous rant. There's that video that's now been circulating quite a bit of him talking talking mess to Chiefs fans, and uh, then he gets gets absolutely clapped the rest of the season, including in, including in this game against Tampa Bay. So great, great for Baker Mayfield, right? Great for Baker Mayfield. Philadelphia gets owned, and then uh, it seems as though there could be serious questions about Nick Sirianni's future with Philadelphia. Uh, Jason Kelsey, it would appear, has announced his retirement as well. Uh, that I think Adam Schefter kind of reported that earlier in the day today that uh, Adam that uh, Jason Kelsey might be hanging it up for the final time. Of course, he was. It sounded it seemed like he was going to retire after last season, but comes back again, sort of for one final ride, but. Kind of goes out, unfortunately, maybe not the way you would have hoped with with the uh, the big loss to Tampa Bay. So that's the tip all the divisional match. That's a, that's the tip all the divisional matchups in the AFC. It's Baltimore hosting Houston, Chiefs at the at the Bills, and the NFC Green Bay goes to San Francisco, Tampa Bay goes to uh, Detroit. So when you look at the Chiefs and their matchup against Buffalo, Mahomes has gotten the better of Josh Allen in the playoffs. In the regular season, the Bills have beaten the Chiefs, and obviously they beat the Chiefs again in the regular season this season. And so now the question becomes, what's going to happen with Kansas City on the road in Buffalo for the first time in in, in Patrick Mahomes' career on the road in the playoffs? What's that going to look like for Kansas City? Uh, I, I think maybe this is – I think this is a little bit what Kansas City needs, right? 
when you go back and look at what how the Chiefs have won some of their previous Super Bowls, it's been when people have counted them out. It's been when people have said, "Oh, these guys, they're they're done. They're done." You know, oh, they're no Tyree Kill. They're cooked. They got no chance. Okay. Oh, you got to go on the road for the first time. Josh Allen playing some of the best football he's played probably in his career in Buffalo. No chance. This is. I think this is a little bit of what the Chiefs need. A little bit of what the Chiefs need. They need some doubters. They need some people to to be speaking negatively on them. So I'm looking forward to this game. The Bills certainly look tough. They 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 did deal with some more injuries on their defense. Their their defense is pretty banged up overall. Uh, the Bills' defense is. So uh, we'll see what that looks like. But offensively, man, they still have Josh Allen, uh, Stephon Diggs, James Cook. By the way, the the run game actually I think is going to be the biggest factor in this game. You know, everyone's going to focus on the quarterbacks with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. But when you look at the running game with Buffalo with James Cook and Kansas City with Isaiah Pacheco, I think that probably will ultimately end up being maybe the one of the deciding factors in the game is maybe if which team can run the ball a little bit better. In terms of the weather, by the way, if you're wondering, oh, you know, Buffalo just got three feet of snow, what's it going to be like next weekend? I think the initial forecast is it's going to be cold, but it's going to be sunny, and there's not going to be any real threat of, of snow or anything like that. I think it's going to be probably in the 20s. So it'll be cold, but uh, not nearly as cold as what Kansas City has experienced uh, here locally. But it'll be cold, and they will uh, head over to Buffalo to take on the Bills, and we'll see what happens. Initially, I think the initial lines came out already with the Bills being about two-and-a-half, three-point favorites over Kansas City. So uh, one of the rare times that Patrick Mahomes is an underdog, including the fact that this is his first time on the road in the playoffs and uh, very, very excited to see how that one plays out. And then on the flip side, when you look at the AFC, again, I sat on my couch thinking, oh, gosh, do I really want the Steelers to upset the Bills and have the Chiefs have to play the Texans? I don't know. So the Texans-Ravens game, I think, has a lot of intrigue to it. And uh, I think it's I, w- I don't think it's out of the normal possibility that, that the Chiefs could be hosting the AFC title game against the Texans. I really don't. Uh, I mean, they're, they seem to be playing very, very hot right now. And again, they've got that, the Texans have that kind of sense of they're a young team that almost almost is too naive for their own good to really know what they're doing to, to you know, going and now going on to take on Baltimore. And listen, for Baltimore, it's the same old story, man. It's the same story every year for the Ravens. They're a really, really good regular season team. And obviously this season they've been outstanding. Every every team, every good team they played they have absolutely blasted them, it has seemed like, uh, in the regular season. But again, Lamar Jackson, one playoff win. Go prove it in the postseason. Go prove it in the postseason. So uh, very, very excited about that matchup as well. You look at the NFC. The Lions have a legitimate easy path to the NFC title game. I mean, I think the Bucks are going to be a, a difficult matchup. But, man, Detroit in the NFC championship game, that's crazy, and you look at the other side again. I, I mean, I think you don't want you never want to just pencil on a team, but San Francisco feels like they're going to be there. Uh, a San Francisco Detroit NFC Championship game, I think, would have a lot of intrigue to it, considering Detroit kind of wants to do similarly what the Niners do, which is they want to line up and they want to just simply run HB dive and run the ball right at you with Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. How would that go over against San Francisco's defense? I'm not sure. So I think that. That matchup to me would be a good one in a lot of ways uh, with with Detroit and and San Francisco and I, again I, I feel like San Francisco is going to be kind of penciled in at this point. I don't know if Green Bay can really put up that much of a fight. So you get San Francisco 
And then on this side, I think, again, I Tampa Bay scrappy, man. I think they are scrappy. I know I've been dogging the NFC South all season long, and for good reason. Terrible division. Uh, but uh, Tampa Bay, listen, they're playing with confidence. They just beat Philadelphia. I, I'm sure that they're thinking they, there's no reason why they can't stroll into Detroit and, and knock off the Lions, but but we'll see. I think overall, when you look at the when you look at the wild card picture, or when you look at the uh, playoff picture as it's as it's coming into shape now here with the divisional round, to me the may, the big storylines are all in the AFC. I think at least for this for this upcoming weekend. Obviously, if it's if it's Niners Lions, I think that becomes an interesting matchup. But uh, for this specific weekend in the divisional round, the storylines are in the AFC: Chiefs, Bills, Texans, Ravens. Those are definitely the the storylines that I I'm more interested in, uh, certainly. And obviously, with with the including the Chiefs, I think there's certainly some bias there. But but yeah, should be exciting. We'll, we'll probably break more of that down coming up later on in the week as we get closer to a divisional round weekend here for the NFL. And once again, you'll be able to hear select coverage, including the Chiefs and the Bills game, right here on KLWN with Westwood One's radio broadcast coverage. Kevin Harlan going to be on the call for that Chiefs game. So. Uh, you maybe might, might not want to miss that broadcast here, and you'll be able to hear it right here on KLWN. All right, two hours down here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to get to Rock Chalk pick coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Also going to get to some audio with Bill Self and KJ Adams and Hunter Dickinson as they met with the media after the Oklahoma game. Talk a little bit about the Oklahoma State game as well. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. As a reminder for tonight, you'll be able to hear the KU women's basketball game. They're, they're on the road against Texas and Austin. Coverage of that will start at 6.45, tip off at 7. As for the men's broadcast, we're going to get a little bit into it at 6.30 before we flip over to the uh, women's coverage and then immediately following the conclusion of the women's coverage, uh, so it should be around 9, 9.15-ish, we'll get you back to the rest of the men's coverage here on KLWN. If you are looking for the totality of the men's coverage uh, for the whole broadcast for the KU men taking on Oklahoma State, you'll be able to hear that on our sister station, with 105.9 KISS. So we'll have the women's coverage here and then get you back to the men's coverage. If you want the only the men's coverage, you'll get that on our sister station uh, with 105.9 KISS uh, for the men's broadcast. Two hours down, one to go here on the show. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out. So we're experiencing a little bit of Nick Chuck Sports Talk here on RCST. It's been a fun show so far. If you missed anything from the show today, you can check it out on the Best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including KUSports.com. And it's time for our Rock Chalk Pickahawk for this game. KU taking on Oklahoma State tonight, 8 o'clock tip. You'll be able to hear the remaining coverage of that game coming up tonight here on KLWN after the conclusion of the women's game, which tips off at 7 o'clock. Again, if you want the totality of the men's game, you can head over to our sister station at 105.9 KISS. So for Pickahawk, a reminder of the rules. You get one point for every point player scores, two points for every rebound and assist a player records, and three points for blocks and steals. And recapping uh, our game from the KU Oklahoma game on Saturday, since we didn't have a show yesterday to talk about it, Derek got a big win. He had Hunter Dickinson with his first pick. Hunter Dickinson by himself had 38 points. Derek finished with 41 total points. Meanwhile, I had negative eight. So uh, it's 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 hit or miss, man. 
So I am now six and thirteen against Derek. Derek is thirteen and six, and I got the first pick for this matchup between myself and Derek in Pickahawk, and I had to go with Hunter Dickinson. I mean, he just had thirty-eight points. The five blocks, really. I mean, that was obviously what what uh, gave him a ton of points in the game against Oklahoma. I don't expect him to get that much, but again, but far and away, he's the most efficient player in terms of Pickahawk. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention with Pickock rules, you get minus one point for every minute a player plays. So you have one point for points for every point they score, two points for rebounds and assists, three points for blocks and seals, but you lose one point for every minute played. So, you know, like KJ Adams, for example, finished with seven Pickock points. Dewan Harris finished with negative six because he played 40 minutes. And he didn't end up scoring or, you know, he had eight assists, but he didn't really do much else beyond that. So... There is some strategery involved in selecting players. So I go with Hunter Dickens as my first pick. Uh, Derek and I did this draft via text early in the day today uh, as he was in between probably changing diapers uh, for his newborn as we were texting back and forth about the pick-a-hawk. So I picked Hunter Dickinson. Kevin, Mc- Kevin McCuller was Derek's pick for the second pick. And then in snake order, he picked K.J. Adams with, his, with the next pick after that. So he got Kevin McCuller and K.J. Adams. I went with Johnny Furphy and Parker Brown as my two picks. I mainly picked Parker Brown because Derek has been picking Parker Brown every single draft we do of Pickahawk, and I decided to break the trend. I decided, you know what, maybe that's the secret sauce. Maybe that's the reason why Derek keeps winning in Pickahawk is because he has Parker Brown. So I selected Parker Brown along with Johnny Furphy. Uh, actually, the, the Pickahawk selection was temporarily stopped as Derek protested uh, my selection of Parker Brown. Uh, to the point where I was almost going to say, hey, man, listen, if you're not going to pick anybody, you can forfeit, and I'll take the W. But eventually he went with Dewan Harris and Jamar McDowell to round out his lineup, and I finished up Pickahawk with Nick Timberlake as we go eight players deep, four players for each team. So I got Hunter Dickinson, Johnny Furphy, Parker Brown, Nick Timberlake. Derek has Kevin McCuller, K.J. Adams, Dewan Harris, and Jamar McDowell for Pickahawk for tonight for KU at Oklahoma State. On to our KU basketball game picks for this game. Kansas, by the way, seven and a half point favorites coming into this game against Oklahoma State. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty big line. That's a pretty big line uh, considering kind of what I talked about earlier in the show with with teams on the road and how uh, winning on the road is tough and it hasn't, it's been very hard to come by. Uh, so it's actually six and a half. Uh, okay, minus six and a half. Over-under sitting at 139.5 for this game. And uh, Derek submitted his picks to me earlier in the day. He's going with Oklahoma State plus a 6.5 in this game against Kansas. And and again, I mean, listen, the logic is there. Teams on the road so far in conference play in the Big 12 have not fared very well at all. It's been a real struggle uh, for teams uh, in conference play on the road. Obviously, Kansas knows that very well with their loss to UCF. So Derek has gone with Oklahoma State. But you know what? I'm bucking the trend. I'm taking Kansas here. I'll take KU plus uh, minus a six and a half. I feel like they can go into Oklahoma State and get it done. Uh, the, the big thing is if Oklahoma State is cold from three, I think this game could be a big win for Kansas potentially. If they're hitting shots from beyond the arc, I'll be a little bit more concerned. But I'll take Kansas minus a six and a half. I think the Jayhawks can get it done easily against Oklahoma State. Over-under at 139.5. Derek has gone with the over for this game. And uh, I I don't know. I'm a little nervous about Oklahoma State scoring if they can't hit threes. So uh, I'm going to go under, actually. Maybe under. I'll go under for Oklahoma State uh, and Kansas in this one. Under 
139.5. And then for favorite uh, prop bets for this game, Derek has gone with KJ Adams, points, rebounds, and assists over 21.5. I'm looking at, uh, so Kevin McCuller, if you've been listening to the show for a while, Kevin McCuller, his over-under in points was always quite lower to start the season. And I, I probably hit that prop bet about literally five games in a row. I just kept going back to it because, but then they started increasing the number to where it was like 19 and a half, 20 and a half. It's sitting at 18 and a half right now. I'm going to go Kevin McCuller over 18 and a half. I don't feel fantastic about it, but I'm just going to trust the process on this one. So give me Kevin McCuller over 18 and a half points as my favorite prop for the game uh, here tonight as Kansas takes on Oklahoma State. All right, that's our Rock Chalk Pickhawk and KU game picks for tonight's game against Oklahoma State. Speaking of this matchup between KU and Oklahoma State, on the other side, we'll hear we'll get a chance to hear from Bill Self and players, Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams, in the postgame after Oklahoma, talking about Oklahoma State as well. That's coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.